You're listening to the Lean Six Sigma for Good podcast. We help you learn how Lean and Six Sigma concepts can be applied to nonprofits, NGOs, and not-for-profit organizations. Visit us at LeanSixSigmaForGood.com. Well, welcome. Um, this is Daniel Eds, and he's going to talk to us today about how he's applied some process improvement methods into the nonprofit world and also some government work that he's done over the years. So, uh, Dan, do you want to just kind of kick it off and tell us how you got into this line of work and some of your past background? Sure. Well, thanks, uh, Brian. I appreciate this opportunity to be uh, with you and your listeners. Um, my experience with um, process of improvement, I guess, would really have to go back to graduate school um, mm-hmm. when I was getting my MBA. And the classes that I enjoyed the most were in operations management, where they were talking about excellence and quality and um, uh, you know, process improvement and process yeah. management. And those, those classes just really resonated with me. I just, I thoroughly enjoyed them. I actually got in, into the consulting uh, world when a friend of mine called me one day and um, he was the business manager of a local school district and said, um, I've got this department up here that needs some help. Can you come up and help? And uh, I quite frankly, didn't know what he wanted me to do. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I figured out, oh, he wants a, it's a sort of a process improvement, organizational redesign kind of a thing. And um, of course I said, sure, I could do that and gave him a price that I thought uh, literally was twice what he'd be willing to pay and he paid it. So <laughs> I thought, well, there must be a business in here someplace. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool, that's, that's a great, uh, and um, I think that's a, some big opportunity as well is, um, you know, bringing these concepts into the school systems and looking at, um, you know, the workload of the teachers. And uh, oh. I find that really intriguing and, and the outcomes of the students. Very cool. Well, the opportunity is there, uh, or at least the need is there. Um, now, whether or not um, uh, institutionally, organizations will adopt those uh, uh, those those opportunities, really see their value, implement them. Yeah, that's a that's that's a that's a different question. But the opportunity is definitely there. Yeah. All right. Cool. So then, um, so you started off in consulting or did, were you working somewhere else first before that opportunity came up or? Uh, well, yeah, actually I was in a dead end job that I was bored silly with. That's <laughs> the reason I went back to school. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, when, when I branched out, I thought, well, there, I don't really know where the business is at in doing these kinds of projects, but I figured there was a business in there someplace. And then I stumbled on a company that was uh, actually turned out to be the largest non-defense um, uh, a consulting company in the country. Okay. And I was doing um, some, a lot of what we'd call cost of service studies, which is where a, a government agency would come in and, and ask us, you know, what is this system cost? What is this process cost? And so I started using basic process analysis in looking at what, you know, what their costs were. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it wasn't, it, people say, are you like a, uh, like an accountant? Is it? No, <laughs> I, I know, I know enough about accounting to be dangerous and I don't want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, um, when I look at, at, when I started looking at, at how, uh, organizations ran, um, their pro their internal processes and their systems and started, start applying process analysis to them, then the cost really made sense. Now, whether or not they actually wanted to know that those costs after I showed it to him, that's a different question. <laughs> but uh, but uh, those organizations in government, outside of government, healthcare, nonprofit, when they do apply the principles um, of lean process improvement, actually, my first book was called Transformational Management, which was uh, really about how process analysis and looking at internal processes and systems can really transform an organization and along with it transforms the work environment that that um, and the people that are working in those organizations and frankly that's that's now where my interest is really at okay what are some of the projects and work you've done um, is there some examples you think would be good to share maybe if you have one on a nonprofit side and 
or maybe an example of a, another government agency? So one project I did, it was really, it was really quite fun. It was for a, um, they're, they're called educational service districts. They're, they're organizations that provide services to a, a multitude of smaller school districts um, where they can't, they don't, they, they can't afford their own financial system. They can't afford, you know, their, their own dedicated HR systems. Various states will handle these differently, but they're, they're sort of like um, umbrella organizations. And this one group asked me to come in and look at their insurance program. They, they provided labor insurance for 35,000 teachers, um, both uh, private school teachers, public school teachers. It was taking them weeks and weeks and weeks to process work-related accidents and and getting them getting their teachers up you know healthy back working again um, or just getting them the, the 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 correct medical care when i started out working with them this happens almost always um, we get we put a team of people together and we say we're going to map out your processes and we, we with this group we ended up creating a gorgeous value stream map and it, it, a two-year-old could have pointed to the spot where the bottlenecks were happening. I mean, it was really obvious. <laughs> and um, that's, that's one of the beauties of, you know, visual management, visual communication is when you see a value stream map up on a wall, anybody can look at that and go, that's where the problem is at. But when I started with this team and we, we had designed, I think it was like a four-day project and... Um, uh, several people sort of quietly came up to me and said, you know, we've kind of, we tried to do this kind of thing before. And, um, uh, but the reality is no one listened to us. Well, I don't know what the, what the deal was, but um, maybe it was because they had a new director and he decided to listen within, oh, it was just a few months. They had radically transformed the way they do business. Actually, their board of directors was so impressed with what they did that they actually increased their budget by 25%, which um, you know sounds kind of, uh, didn't sound like much, but this is what I find with government agencies is that when the governing body sees the way you're handling money and, and, and people and staff and the resources, they actually give you more money because they trust you. Here in the state of Washington, um, I've I've not been a part of it, but I know a guy who was the director of um, of a of a, one of the transportation departments within state government. In the early 2000s, the governor was will, was was ready to pull his funding. Um, in fact, the transportation secretary, like a week after he took the job, said, "You're not getting a dime out of me. I'm I'm going to vote to defund you if I possibly can." So he got serious about looking at their systems and their processes, and he 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 was a, a full implementer of Lean. And within a couple of years, um, he had they had totally transformed the organization. Right now. Um, they actually have pending bills to increase their funding. Um, and, and they've had uh, standing bills for, for several years now to increase their funding just because people see what they're doing with, with the money and, um, and how effective they are with it and how much value they're adding to their customers that the government, you know, the, 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 uh, the political leaders are saying, yeah, we'll give you some more money. How much do you need? And it sounds crazy, but that's exactly what happens. Yeah, because you have more confidence. There's structure there. There's yes. processes in place. There's results and success. And so, yep. you know, maybe things that are, well, should we give it to this agency or this one? You're going to maybe go to the one that's showing they've got a better control or handle on right. how things run and there's consistency and outcomes. And, um, you know, there's something to be said that when a customer calls up their legislature and says, I just want to let you know that this organization um, is doing, they know more about what I need in my city or my county than I do because they're monitoring data. They, they are actually providing me with a service that's so incredible. I can't even believe it's, it's from government. You know, a city mayor, city city mayor, city manager calls up a state legislature and says, "I just want you to know what's going on here with with this agency of yours," and 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 starts praising them for the kind of service they're getting. 
you're a state legislature, you'd be a fool not to give them more money. How did you get involved with that particular project? Is this through your consulting firm or yeah. is this through some connections you had there? Okay. No, this is through my, my well, everything is connections, but yeah, this is through my consulting firm where um, I, I do a fair bit of work with uh, lean process improvement, process analysis. Uh, and, and frankly, a lot of it has been, um, you know, team dynamics um, within a context of improving processes. That, that always seems to be, and, and maybe your experience would be similar, you can't just walk in and, and start moving, you know, dominoes around on the process improvement board because people are always going to be impacted by that. In my judgment, you have to take in, into consideration, um, you know, how these changes are going to impact people, bring them on board. And in my worldview, I think the best process improvement happens from the bottom up, when the people doing the work actually can start making the changes, do the analysis, make the changes. Um, that way they're doing it um, uh, with themselves as a team, as opposed to some director coming down and saying, no, I want you to do it this way now. Yeah, I think that accountability is there with the team, that it's their, it's their idea. And yep. so they're gonna make that work Right. when it's our idea or management's idea. Yep. All they have to do is find one problem with it and say, see, that's not right. set up for us well. Um, right. And so it's not gonna work. And so, yep. yeah, I think that is, um, build that engagement. It's yep. gonna have a better chance of success. And I've been humbled many times by what I thought would be a good solution and what they came mm -hmm. up with. And yep. um, I was like, that's that's working much better than I thought, than I, than I could <laughs> have come right. up with. So <laughs> right. uh, you learn quickly I, that they actually have better ideas than what you think. Um, well, I, I always start out my, my consulting gigs with, um, you know, a couple of sermons, one of which is all the ideas already are, are all good ideas are already in your head. They're not in mine. My, my job is just to get those good ideas out and let's put them up on a wall or, or, or some paper someplace so we could all see them and analyze them and talk about them. Right, right. No, I think that's a, that's a big part of it. Yeah. Maybe we'll, I can tweak a little bit of the ideas to help you with some of the concepts, but yeah. you're right. I think a lot of the people have a good idea of what they want to do or yeah. need to do. Yeah. Um, it's just giving a forum for them to speak and work through that or talk through those ideas as a team, right. find out what's going to work for everybody, not necessarily right. it's going right. to make their work easier, but maybe it causes problems somewhere else. So, yep. Yep. but if they get all the right people together, I think that's half the battle. Yeah. It's, it's really magic when you get the right people in the room and, and you start graphing, you start uh, creating value stream maps. A couple of years ago, I did a, a project. Um, it was actually a, 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 like a beta test for a, a a different way of doing process improvement, um, organizational um, uh, improvement. And we had uh, like 20 people in a room uh, and these, these folks were um, property assessors. You know, they're the folks that would go out and they go out and assess, your, assess the value of your home so they could tax you. You know, first question was, you know, what do you do? You know, what are your processes? And, you know, the, initially they were all over the map. I mean, they were like, well, we do this, we do that, and we do everything. But then as the conversation began to unfold, there were two very clear processes that they did on an annual basis. We got done at the end of the day, and uh, it, was really, it was really interesting. They all looked at what they did, and they, they said, wow, we didn't know we did all that. <laughs> <laughs> and they were looking at it and say, you know, if we fix that part right there, that's going to impact this thing over here, which is going to impact this thing over here. And, and gosh, we can go home on time once in a while. Yeah. I've had, I've heard that feedback too, is just like doing the current yeah. state map mm -hmm. was really helpful right. for that team. They said, we didn't, we never, we knew what we do, but we never right. documented it and never right. captured it. And now we have, something we can yep. show others yeah. what we do. And that was like so yep. valuable for them. And um, like, okay, we can go further than this. They're like this is step yes. one of many steps we can do. And they were like, actually this works yeah. really good for right now. We just yeah. never I've had, uh, had right. this before. Yeah, I've, so, I've had that too. Like, no, no, this, this, is, this is enormous. Just what we've done right here. And we're gonna tweak one thing 
Um, and that's going to open up all these other opportunities. So we'll see in a year or two. <laughs> yeah. And okay. That sounds great. Yeah. If but, you're happy, that's great. <laughs> but, but, you know, uh, and, and, you know, this is kind of where I'm at right now with my own practice is to give the team um, or the work group the freedom to look at their own processes and make changes really requires uh, a different approach to leadership. And uh, this is one of the things that I, th I don't think we talk enough about um, in the lean world and process improvement world. And I'm, I'm sure it's probably the same with lean with Six Sigma is that to really make these tools work well, um, the way they're designed to work really requires a different approach to leadership. Uh, individual leaders really need to understand that their job is to empower their workforce, to give their workforce the respect, the whole idea of, of respect. You know, we, we, a lot of organizations, well, we have core values and there's always one of respect in there, but we're not gonna trust you to do your job well. And uh, we know, which is a little bit of an oxymoron. One of the case studies in my, in my book is a, as a, as a hospital it was, it was the first hospital in the country to adopt the Toyota production system as their methodology of delivering healthcare, which, which if you think about it, is kind of odd. I mean, um, you know, we, we, we use the Toyota production method to manufacture cars, not do healthcare, but they do it that way. Mm -hmm. And in fact, Toyota, uh, they are so good at, at implementing lean in the Toyota production system that to Toyota actually sends their people to this hospital to learn how to apply the Toyota production system in healthcare. Wow. And uh, they now teach lean all over the world. They're the world's leader in um, implementing lean in healthcare. Uh, and if you look at them sort of from the outside, you look at how they're doing health care, like, oh, that's lean. But what they don't talk about so much, um, but they will tell you very directly that you really can't separate lean um, as a process improvement tool from the management system, or what I'm choosing to call the, the leadership system, because you have to have both if you're really going to maximize the value of lean. In fact, I, there's some studies that show that 90% of all lean engagements don't produce a nickel's worth of value. Obviously, those other, the other 10% produces a ton of value. But um, uh, from my perspective, the missing ingredient is how you do leadership because you, you have to do leadership in a different way. Yeah, I've seen that as well as Kind of like, well, the people doing the work, they need to re redesign their processes to incorporate these principles and concepts. Right. We're going to manage the same way we've been always managing through, you know, uh, rewarding firefighting, not really engaging and understanding the processes and not realizing our role in driving this behavior and this mm -hmm. culture. And then they get surprised that the results aren't showing up there right. because, well, we're trying to do two things and we're not changing the right. whole system, which is your, like you said, that management piece and the leadership that right. they bring is the whole is part yep. of that system. And if it's not based on coaching yep. and mentoring, and it's more about uh, driving short term results, yep. you're, the system will exactly. not work. Exactly. Couldn't, couldn't say it better myself. And in fact, um, one of the organizations I looked at um, was a small manufacturing company, and they did exactly what you just suggested to the extent that they changed the titles of all of their production leads and coordinators and, and um, all of the, the, the various manufacturing hierarchy. Everybody is now a mentor. Uh, I, I tell this story because uh, it was just amazing to me. This, um, in my tour of, of their facility, um, there was a woman explaining how she had seen this opportunity to get five parts out of foam core material, because they're, they're, they're manufacturing furniture. Um, she saw the opportunity to get five parts um, for this particular piece of furniture um, instead of getting four parts. If the, if the raw material was just configured slightly different, as she's explaining this to me, she says, she keeps saying, I went to my mentor 
you know, my ment I talked to my mentor about this and there's this quiet lady standing right next to her. And finally, I just, you know, she gets done. I have to ask the obvious question. I said, so who is this lady? Is she like a supervisor or something? <laughs> and she, she looks at me like I'm from outer space. And she says, I guess so, but we just call them mentors. <laughs> but the job of the supervisor, as you just pointed out, is to be a mentor to their staff to coach them. In that case, how to conduct a Kaizen, the word they use, in finding and eliminating waste. And, you know, when you've, everybody is trained, um, you've got a culture like that where the leaders are expected to serve, to be the, the frontline servants, if you will, because they practice servant leadership, to help their staff find and eliminate waste. It's pretty exciting what happens. In that case, 200 employees um, identify 1,000 to 1,250 opportunities to improve their systems and processes internally. Each, yeah. each one saves the company about $1,000. And that's been going on year after year after year after year. And the annual savings uh, I calculated to be somewhere around four to 5% of gross sales that they're pulling out of their cost structure each and every year. Plus the engagement you're getting from the team. Exactly. And, uh, I'm assuming that there's less turnover and there's more productivity um, in addition to the cost savings of the ideas that are yep. getting implemented. Yep. So um, yeah, I think it's a, a no brainer, but uh, it still seems difficult for I think organizations to give up that. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's, they feel like it's mm -hmm. control over the decisions being made and they're uh, fearful or feel risky that they're going to let their employees make those decisions yep. or implement those ideas and they're not sure if it's going to work. So they're putting up barriers. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you've well, um, seen some challenges with yeah, that. Yeah. I, I think there's a number of things going on. Um, you know, one it's, it's, it's basic power and control. Um, if you have power, you, you generally don't want to give it up for some crazy reason. But the other thing I think is the way we talk about leadership, we train leaders, um, we, we coach leaders. I think I, now I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get on my soapbox here really strong. But if you think about the, the rhetoric, the language that we use with leadership, it's always your leadership, my leadership. You're going to change the world. You know, you're, you're going to have all the power you need to make you great. And the reality is we need to totally change that dynamic. That leadership isn't about you or me. Leadership is about giving our staff what they need, giving our, giving our staff an experience that they want to come back to every day, um, giving our staff a reason to get up in the morning. And frankly, it doesn't have, well, let me rephrase it. It has little to do with inspiration but it has everything to do with our relationship. And, uh, there, there's actually a lot of research coming out now, um, especially from Gallup, they've been quite blunt about the whole thing, it says that uh, you know, the 70% the, the of that engagement variable um, within employees is a direct correlation to the relationship with their manager. At some point, we have to start concluding that the way we approach leadership isn't working. In fact, uh, George Clifton, the chairman of Gallup, a couple of years ago said, frankly, the, the American leadership philosophy, philosophy simply doesn't work anymore. At some point, uh, hopefully now, uh, soon, uh, we need to radically rethink our entire approach to leadership and what does it look like. And, and I think you're seeing that this year. I mean, I think we're, we're seeing that the companies that have this culture around um, engaging their employees mm -hmm. and having that flexibility and agility to adjust mm. to what's going on and quickly yep. respond. Yep. Um, they're getting up and adjusting quickly. And the ones that are not in that mindset or have that culture are taking longer and they're struggling and mm -hmm. maybe not going to make it. Um, so not only is that good on those metrics, but I think we're seeing, um, at least anecdotally, it seems like there's um, real business results 
that are coming from the, yeah. the organizations that say, this is what we're trying to accomplish. We have all these employees. How do we involve them all in this process? Not yeah. we're going to come up and have a meeting and then we're going to dictate down right. the perfect solution that we came up with in a conference room. So, you know, that's a, I hadn't thought of that, but that's a, that's a great insight. Um, and I think you're absolutely right. You may have heard about Six Sigma certification. If you've done any investigation on it, you'll see that the prices can be kind of expensive. We've partnered up with OpEx Learning to provide a much more affordable option. You can select from white belt at $49 US, yellow belt for $99, green belt for $299, and black belt for $499. In addition to the lower cost, you'll find the content is accelerated, much of the unnecessary content removed. So you can focus on the core tools and concepts you need to know. When you hit the green belt and the black belt level, you can choose between Minitab or Sigma XL. And if you'd like to get a certification, you can add that on for $200 for the green belt level and $350 for the black belt level. To learn more, go to Lean Six Sigma for good and under the resources tab, look for Six Sigma certifications. In fact, as you're, as you're, you're, you're mentioning that, I'm thinking this is the same manufacturing company um, and they, they design and manufacture, you know, really high-end commercial, um, custom commercial furniture. Um, no one's ever heard of them, but if I rattle off their customers, you would instantly know, recognize every one of their customers. They're all major, major national, um, national brands. But in, I think it was uh, late March, early April, when um, we're all hearing that doctors and nurses and hospitals didn't have enough face masks, they partnered up with uh, one of the nation's largest um, healthcare providers. And within 24 hours, they flipped their production from manufacturing furniture to manufacturing face masks. And uh, I don't know where they're at now, but their, their objective was 100 million face masks. Um, they had to, and they had to wow. get some, some help with some of their partners. But you know, to go from manufacturing furniture to face masks, within 24 hours, they're fully uh, up and running, cranking out 100 million face masks. And you, I don't think you could do that unless your employees are really in, engaged, really on board, um, and, and fully committed to, to you know, what you're trying to do. Yeah, they, they're not stopping to say, can I do this or can I do this or, you know, right. there's no way they could do that kind of speed. Exactly, right? Ex exactly. That's a, and that's a great word. You can't have speed like that unless your employees have the freedom to act. They know that they're respected. Um, they know that if they there's a, there's a miscue someplace, they're not going to get hammered. It's going to be, okay, we learned something from this. Now let's move on and get on with it. Absolutely. Yep. Have you noticed anything um, different with for-profits versus non-profits or governments or public sector with the leadership um, approach or style, or do you think that's pretty much similar across the board in terms of these challenges? Um, you know, I would love to say that um, the lack of thoughtful leadership um, is just in uh, government uh, nonprofit um, healthcare, um, but frankly, I see it everywhere I go. I don't think there is a sector that is um, has a handle on how to do effective leadership um, in a systemic way, and that, which is what I'm working on now. To to do what we've been talking about, like this manufacturing company, you have to have a unique approach to, to, to leadership. In fact, when I when I got the president on the phone. Um, I told him about this research I was doing um, about uh, looking at, at leadership as an organizational system. And he says, oh, I want to know how to do that. Even though it was clearly obvious that he was doing it. He just didn't know he was doing it. And, um, but he, you know, he was quite upfront with him. He says, we practice servant leadership. Then he explained to me what that meant. And a lot of people talk about servant leadership, but he explained to me what it meant. And it blew my mind. So just to give you an example, um, this guy, uh, you know, 200 employees, a lot of their employees are uh, new to the country. Um, you, you go into their area where they have lunch, their, their lunch area, 
and you know it smells like an international food bazaar it's like can i just sit here <laughs> can, I, can i sample some of your lunch I, right. mean, <laughs> I, I mean it's a it's a wonderful place to walk into around lunchtime yeah, <laughs> um but uh you know he trains his people so well in in lean or what they call kaizen uh, he rewards people for kaizen with with paid time off and uh, he will give his employees paid time off if they do a Kaizen for the company or even a personal Kaizen. And I heard stories of, wow. of, of you know, one guy who did a Kaizen on his sailboat, reorganized the sailboat, and he got PTO for it. Um, wow. Another guy uh, did a Kaizen um, for his wife's uh, kitchen pantry, thought he would do her a favor because she was pregnant. <laughs> and after he did it, he realized probably not the smartest idea for a good marriage. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, uh -oh. yeah, uh -oh. <laughs> but he still got his PTO for it, you know? Yeah. Um, he learned. I'm sure he learned. <laughs> he learned. That's right. No blood was spilt, as I understand it. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. <laughs> luckily for him. Yeah, luckily for him. Um, but, um, you know, so his staff are so trained and 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 kaizen is so ingrained of, of how they how they work is so ingrained in the culture that you can imagine other manufacturing firms in the area would get wind of this and start picking off his people which is what they started to do and jeff is a guy that you know i don't think he's he's the kind of guy that that can separate sort of personal values from professional values so he had a decision to make when he started seeing this happening um, so he's practicing servant leadership. So does servant leadership mean that when a, when a different company starts picking off my best people, what do I do? Do I put up roadblocks for that or do I facilitate that? And he concluded that servant leadership meant that he had to facilitate them. And so he actually went to some of the, the larger employers that are around him, manufacturing companies, and said, how can I prepare my people better to work for you? And uh, because a lot of these companies could pay more. And so he, he wanted to have his people, you know, have opportunities where they can make more money just to take care of their families. And so he actually started building, I don't know what they were, but he actually started building some of those other training modules, if you will, into his, the training of his employees. So that when they had the opportunity to go to a different company, make more money, they could. Now, that sounds crazy for most of us, <laughs> but but you know what does that do for the engagement levels of your employees? It makes them want to work for you more. Right. And ironically, they want to stick around longer. <laughs> they want to stick around longer. Yeah. Yeah. So, I've seen this with the training too. You know, just even offering up improvement training or lean training to your teams and you're teaching them skills that are very broadly applicable. You know, outside yep. to not just their company, but anywhere. And, right. and the people are afraid that, oh, they're going to have these skill sets and they're going to take those skills and get a better job somewhere. And yeah. the thing is, if you don't do that, they'll definitely do, they'll definitely leave. Yep. <laughs> if you yep. do train them, they might actually, you'll get some benefit out of it and they might stick around because they see that they're being invested in and they're yep. uh, getting this skill set. Um, yep. And so I think his approach is, uh, it is, very different than what people would think to do in that situation, mm -hmm. but it's actually yep. probably working out better for him. Um, yep. Yep. It's counterintuitive, but I, it makes a lot of sense to me. Well, it, it is counterintuitive. I think it goes back to that whole thing of, of institutional power. Um, in some ways, I think, you know, the, the, the simplest way to understand the whole idea of a leader, not leadership, but a leader, a leader is one who exercises institutional power right, wrong, good, bad, somehow they're they are exercising institutional power. And our tendency is to want to clamp onto that power, which if you think about it means that if I hold all the power, that's all the power that we're going to have in this organization is in my hands. But when I give that power away, do I lose any power? The reality is that I gain more power. The math changes. You, you may have you read um, David Marquette's book, um, Turn the Ship Around? 
I, no, I don't think I have. Okay. It's, um, I, it's, a, it's a good book. It's when he took over command of uh, the uh, USS Santa Fe, uh, which uh, at the time was the lowest performing nuclear powered submarine in the fleet, in the Navy's fleet. And uh, in two years, it was the highest performing uh, submarine in the fleet. And he, 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 he simply changed the, 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 the power dynamic. Instead of all the power being in his hands with all of his other officers and sailors standing around waiting to be told what to do, he in turn empowered them to make decisions. And the result was there was more power to make that submarine work more efficiently all the way around. And, and so instead of all of it being in his hands, he created more power to improve the performance of the ship by giving power away. Coming back to me a little bit, did, didn't he like refuse to even make a decision on things? Yeah. To force them to come up yeah. with, yeah. Uh, like he would not make a decision. He said, I don't know, you have to, I'll ask you questions, but you have to make that call or something. It was something pretty radical. Yeah, yeah. It, that culture. Well, it, it really went against um, all of his naval training, uh, you know, as, as a leader, as a, as a naval officer. Um, but the deal was he was he was scheduled to take over command of a different ship. And he had spent a year studying, you know, every nut, bolt, wire and system and valve in this other ship. And so at the very last minute, I mean, a little like, I think it was like a week or two before he was scheduled to take command. They said, no, we want you to take command of this other ship. That's right. Well, it was still a Los Angeles class submarine, but it was an entirely different ship, different, different uh, reactor, different acoustical systems, different we weapons systems, um, and obviously a different crew. And so he had to respect his crew and what they knew and their intelligence and their training. And so he, he had to take his, his normal system and actually the way he describes it, I'm not sure if he's aware of that, that he's saying this, but he, he had to totally abandon the system of leadership that he had been trained in. And he had to design a brand new one from, you know, instead of saying the keel up, we ought to, you know, it's really the, the, the ground up, it's really the keel up. Um, and, but a system that respected uh, his sailors and he would say, like, my intention is to do this. And they would say, OK, we'll get it done. I mean, now that's my very rough interpretation. Sure. But, um, you know, but he, he changed that power dynamic. Instead of one guy giving orders to 134 other men, in those days men, it was 135 sailors trying to make a ship work at its absolute maximum efficiency. Powerful. It is. So, so you um, also have a newer book out. Um, lever leveraging the genetics of leadership. Yep. Can you talk to me about where that came out of and what the intent of this book is yeah. and yeah. who the audience is? Yeah. <laughs> Love to, Brian. It's only it's only taken four, four years of my life, so I could talk about it for <laughs> <laughs> four days and, and maybe come out for air. But, uh, you know, really came about looking at some of the things we've been talking about. You, you've had experiences with organizations where you go in and they say, you know, here's this team, here's this group, you know, fix them. And, and you know, you go in there and you do this work, um, you design some new processes, you come up with some new initiatives and everybody's excited. And, um, uh, but then you come back three months, six months later, nothing has changed and you ask why. So, well, they, they you know, the people upstairs, um, they wouldn't listen, they wouldn't do their part or they didn't care or whatever. And um, I've, I've heard various versions of that, you know, way too many times. Um, one project I did for a fairly large state agency, uh, it was a regulatory agency. They regulated or licensed 450,000 healthcare providers in their state. And, um, and they were a mess for a lot of reasons. Um, but got done with this project and, um, and there was some real hope at the end of the tunnel. And um, I'm, I'm having my last meeting with the deputy director and I'm done, we're done talking, I'm ready to walk out the door and in almost a confessional tone, she says, you know, I don't even tell my friends where I work anymore. You don't tell your friends? So why not? She said, it's just too embarrassing. Wow. And I, you know, I've heard that various versions of that dozens of times not quite with that kind of um, poignancy, 
But um, that really got me thinking, you know, this is a crime. I mean, this is awful when, when smart, dedicated people, um, uh, and this woman was by any measure a smart, uh, dedicated, terrific civil, civil servant. She could have gone any place and done exceedingly well. And when she says, you know, it's just too embarrassing for me to even tell my friends where I work anymore, that something hit me almost in my stomach. This was a crime. Uh, most people that write books on leadership, what they do is they look at the individual leader. You know, they, they look at the Nelson Mandela's of the world and the Abraham Lincoln's and the, you know, Steve Jobs of the world or, and, you know, whoever else is now in the corporate CEO world of, of greatness. And they say, well, if you could just be like this person, you too can be a great leader. They forget that when a person even if they are a terrific leader in their own right, walk, walks into an organization, they walk into an organization that's made up of interlocking systems. They might be good systems, they might be dysfunctional systems, but they are all an organization, a business, a company, a government agency is a series of systems that, that in theory are designed to work together. Just like your body and mine, and your bodies are made up of 11 different systems all of which are designed to work in harmony and in alignment with one another to produce life. I got looking at how high impact organizations, organizations that perform at a, at a really at an elite level and, and not just for a year or two or three, but four, five, six, eight, 10, 12, 15, 20 years. How do they approach the practice of leadership and what I found out was they don't rely on inspirational, dynamic, charismatic leaders. They actually design a system of leadership. And I would even add that most of them are not aware that they've designed a system, but they actually design exceedingly clear systems of leadership. Sort of takes you back to, to Deming's statement where he says, most problems in the organizations are problems of the system. They're not problems of the people. And so therefore, if we can understand leadership as a system, we can actually change, modify that system to produce a kind of experience for the workforce, value, a kind of value for the customer, uh, a kind of experience uh, for the customer. Um, and that will really set us apart. Um, so this manufacturing company I mentioned, they, they, without exaggeration, they have people lining up at their door wanting to buy furniture from them. Wow. They're as picky about their customers as they are about their furniture. I think I mentioned the, the, the hospital that adopted the, the Toyota production system. You look at what they are doing and developing their people. In fact, uh, I spent a morning with um, them in one of their transformational senseis who does their their lean training um, all over the world. This woman gave me a, a half a day, which I was amazed at her generosity. Um, when I saw the way they approached developing their people and not just the professional parts of their people, but they actually want to make their people better human beings. Um, they want to see their people more self-confident, more personally empowered. I was stunned. I, nothing in my professional career prepared me for what I saw. This is kind of a side story to the book. Um, I was so, so shocked that um, I contacted a woman at Harvard University who had been kind of a mentor for me in this project. She was more just of a encourager, but I, I thoroughly appreciated her encouragement. And um, I got her on the phone. I said, this is what I've seen. Can you help me process it? And she immediately knew what I'd seen. She said, you need to read this book called um, An Everyone Culture, which I would highly recommend. And uh, she said, what they are doing is, is uh, what the, the, the subject of this book are, are doing, which is putting as much emphasis on developing the, 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 the whole person as well as, as well as creating better doctors and nurses and medical assistants. And when they do that, they create so much value for their customers and patients. Um, this particular hospital, all through the recession, when every other hospital in the country was laying off people, they didn't lay off anybody. 
and they continued to pay bonuses for the people who, who got financial bonuses. And by, oh, and by the way, they're also considered one of the safest hospitals in the country. And some, of, some, of, some have even speculated they might be the safest hospital in the world, which doesn't sound like a Probably big- Probably makes sense given their you know, focus on the person and the yeah. skills. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, but it takes a, a very different kind of leadership. You know, they've got 9,500 employees. They can't treat, they can't do what they're doing and treat leadership as well. It's your leadership style and my leadership style and you do leadership your way and just make sure it works. And, and you know, 9,500 people, they've got probably a thousand, you know, clinic managers and leaders and directors or whatever. You can't, you can't do what they're doing in such a consistent fashion and let everybody approach leadership based on their own personal values and ethics or whatever. They have a system of doing leadership and they're very clear. This is how you will do leadership in this organization. And if you don't want to do it this way, the door is over there. Um, and they're very yeah. clear about it, um, but it works. And it's, it's, when you see it work, it is an inspiration. Very cool. Yeah. And yeah, this has been really enjoyable. Um, appreciate your time here. Is there anything else you wanted to share or discuss? Um, well, got a lot of links here to, to put in here to your books. Uh, the, the book really came out of the question of how do, how do elite organizations, how do organizations that consistently perform at really an elite level and do it over a long period of time, how do they approach the practice of, practice of leadership? So I've got case studies from um, healthcare, several from healthcare, education. One of the most amazing conversations I had was with uh, an elementary school principal of all people, um, doing some incredible work, um, manufacturing. I had um, one of the personal interviews uh, was with um, a retired four-star general of the army um, who went on after he retired, he, he was a, held a cabinet position in the Clinton administration. When I got him on the phone, he said, I said, so I want to talk to you about how the army practices leadership. And he said, well, we practice servant leadership. And in the next breath, he's taught, he's using a word I would never have expected um, a four-star general to use, certified war hero. This guy has three purple hearts from wounds he received in Vietnam. Um, but in the next breath after servant leadership, he's talking to me about love. Uh, and I was, in fact, I, I didn't even really understand what he said until I was reading the transcript. I, I was reading the transcript. I said, he said that? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, you know, the, 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 the book basically just lays out, okay, this is what a, an organizational uh, leadership system looks like. Here's how it's structured. It's not a one size fits all. Different, different organizations approach it differently, but the structure is identically the same that I found. And there's some, a lot of commonalities in, in how they approach things, but the U.S. Army is going to approach servant leadership a little differently than, let's say, a hospital that says we practice servant leadership. It's still the same concepts, but they're going to end up applying those concepts differently, as would be appropriate. So it's not a one size fits all, but the structure is the same. Yeah, I think um, that word love is really becoming more uh, relevant in, in work. Um, mm -hmm. I, I've heard that pop up more frequently in the last couple of years too. So yeah, yeah. I think, you know, to get at what you're talking about is a system where people um, want to come to work each day and mm -hmm. they have to feel like they're needed and, and valued. Yep. And if you can only do that if you really understand that person and what they're looking to do and whether that's developed them to move on to something else. Yep. That seems like a, a bad thing for the company, but they're actually, that's how you get them engaged is they know you, exactly. they, you have their best interests in mind. Um, exactly. exactly. And, and you can't be motivated to do that if you don't care about them. And right. you have to understand what they're trying to accomplish in, yep. in, in the world. Like that whole system's, like the whole individual piece, I think that's yep. Uh, yep. that's really important. Well, and and unfortunately, we think of you know caring for our people. Um, when you hear a general talk about love in a military institution, it sounds like a moral argument. It sounds like morality. It sounds, in fact, the way he talked about it, it was almost in religious tones. I mean, I was I was really stunned. The other 
side of that coin is a very hard economic um, driver or a driver of good solid economics. Um, you know, when you think about it, in 2019, 45% of the US workforce turned over. That is an enormous cost. Unfortunately, it doesn't show up on anybody's balance sheet, which is a great disservice to stakeholders, I think. If you start looking at how organiza uh, high-performing organizations do leadership, caring for their people, and the United States Army loving their people, giving, giving their workforce an experience, as you point out, where they want to come to work. Yeah, it's taking care of people as people, but it's also driving economics. It's driving innovation. It's driving the customer experience. And then it becomes not a moral discussion, but a, but a really a value discussion, which is the the, if there's one word that I would describe these organizations I looked at is that they're crazy about delivering value and developing value in any place they see they see an opportunity to develop value they, they develop it because ultimately it means they're delivering more value to their customers that's a great point is that it isn't just a nice thing to do right and it's <laughs> it's actually a good way to run it's the a business. good way to run the business too right yeah, or the organization or agency what, exactly. or whatever right. you're working yeah. on. Yep, yep, absolutely. So how can people get a hold of you or reach out to you? Do you have uh, your consulting website or? Uh, yeah, LinkedIn. Or... I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Um, my my website is danieleds.com, D-A-N-I-E-L-E-D-D-S. Um, best place to get the book too. The book's on Amazon, but you actually get a, you actually get a better deal if, if you get it through me because um, I do free okay. shipping. I'll yep. put the links there. Yep. All yep. that. Okay, cool. And um, um, I also have a couple of special reports um, that, I, that I will often throw in the in the envelope too. Love to talk to folks about this. Um, talk to people's um, work teams, work units, or where whatever. Um, it's the as you could probably tell, it's the passion of my life right now. That's uh, that's great. Um, I really enjoyed the conversation. Oh, thanks for your Brian, time. Thank you. And uh, I'm totally honored to be with you, be with you here this morning. Maybe Love we'll to. talk in the future. Love to. All right. Okay. Thanks, right, Brian. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Want to better organize your work area or bring 5S methods into your organization? Check out the 5S guide from Creative Safety Supply. You also get three free bonuses. Bonus number one, free 5S poster. Bonus number two, free 5S PowerPoint. And bonus number three, free 5S audit card. Go to leansigsigmaforgood.com slash 5S for the free downloads. They also provide floor tape markings, labels, signs, foam tool organizers, red tags, label printers, and other organization tools. Make sure you use code BPI at checkout to save 10%.